0: Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Here we go. Hello. 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 How we doing? Happy week after Easter. I know. It's kind of like, oh, Okay. All right, how many of you did Lent? You give up something, okay? All right, like four of us, so we're very liturgical here at uh, at Vox. What did you give up? Can you can you say out loud? I gave up I gave up vegetables (laughs) for Lent, so it was great to get back into green beans and stuff. That was awesome. Okay, well, this was a great conversation starter. Um, Good morning. My name's Mike. Welcome uh, to our community. A couple of things. Number one, if you are new, um, you can find out more about us online at voxoc.com, and uh, you can sign up for something called a New to Vox Dinner coming up in early May which is just at our house, and it's an excuse to, to kind of get to know you and talk a little bit about what, uh, what we got going here. Um, secondly, there are uh, pieces, not pieces, places of conversation and dinner happening all over Orange County. They're, we call them table fellowships, and uh, you can sign up for those as well, voxoc.com. There are also a couple of email addresses we want you to know about. One is feedback at voxoc.com. Uh, If you have any thoughts, any questions about what's going on here, um, prayer and care. So prayer at voxoc.com and care at voxoc.com if there's anything we can do or pray for. Uh, So this morning, as we say every week, I'm going to sit down today. I'm a little little tender, Um, tender emotionally. Uh, um, uh, One of the things that we say all the time is we're huge fans of questions and curiosity, and skeptics, and so we always take text questions every week, and so here's that's the number you go to, uh, and sometimes they're, they're very profound, and other times not so much. So, number one, let's see what we got. Was Jesus saying that you could lose your faith in Matthew 10, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved? So there's a huge debate in Christian circles about whether or not you can lose your salvation. And I'm not going to get into that one right now. I'm just going to answer this specific question. Uh, In Matthew 10, Jesus is giving instructions to a group of 72 people, or 70 depending on which uh, translation you use. And he's telling them uh, to go to, to the lost sheep of Israel to proclaim the message that Jesus himself has been proclaiming, but that there will be opposition to that message. And then he says, those who persevere to the end will be saved. Now, we read saved as going to heaven when we die. The Jews read saved, at least they would have heard the word saved much differently um, uh, in terms of belonging to the age to come or outlasting the persecution. I mean, they would have heard it much differently. So no, I don't think this particular text teaches Uh, that someone can lose their salvation once they have it. Now, there are loads of other texts that speak to this, and that's a fascinating conversation for another day. Number two, what did they call Boaz before he got married? Uh, Is that a joke? Ruthless, okay. All right. So if if you're new to the Bible, a guy named Boaz marries Ruth Number three, why are all the sermons so depressing? Ha ha. Like, I love your teaching, but on Easter, I just want to sing he's alive, hallelujah, and be happy, you know? Sometimes I come out of the sermon with less hope than I did coming in. I'm confident that no matter my circumstance, God is with me, and that that is all I need to give me hope. For that reason, I can have joy, and I want to celebrate that joy in church, What's up with all the depression? Um, first of all, great question. And I don't think all of them are depressing. I don't think all of them. Um, but but I am guilty of, of something on uh, holidays like Christmas and Easter where the tone of most Christians and even culture is celebration. And I always feel, it's like uh, even on Mother's Day and Father's Day, I always feel on those days when there's a lot of hype, that I, I want to be particularly sensitive to the people that don't or can't enter in. You know, so Mother's Day is coming up, and yes, we celebrate moms, but then there are all the people who wanted to be moms but couldn't, and, and all the people that, you know, have bad relationships with their mothers or bad relationships with their kids. I mean, we always just want to live in the reality of hope and suffering. And so, so yes, I could, I could have skipped the suffering part <laughs> on Easter, but I always feel like um, that, that, does, that doesn't do a service to the breadth of our community because I, I, I'm particularly sensitive because there's a lot in culture that allows us to celebrate, but I'm particularly sensitive to those of us who just have a hard time entering on, on those days. Now, you're right. It would be funny, and sometimes I joke with Izzy because Izzy will play these incredibly celebratory songs as if they were funeral dirges. And, and no, 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 I mean, we just, we just tease her, because her, her personality is so beautiful and artistic, um, and she just loves, she loves, loves, loves um, musical excellence. And so, there, you know, instead of doing just the three power chords and going crazy with lights and stuff, we love this kind of middle ground we found, where people can come and celebrate, and people can come and lament, and we can all be with each other in whatever stage we're in. So, yes, guilty is charged. I don't think all of them will be, although today maybe. Um, (laughs) Next. Here we go. What do you think Luke means? The Jedi must end. Now this, this is worth a whole sermon right here. Clearly, clearly, Kylo Ren, I think one of the scenes from the trailer is that Kylo Ren betrays Luke destroys the fledgling Jedi Order. I think Rey gets rescued from that and gets put on Jakku and that's her backstory. But uh, clearly, I think Luke has come to the place where, with his experience from, um, you know, Anakin becoming, was a Jedi, he turns to the dark side, destroys the Jedi. He doesn't see the Jedi anymore as a positive force in the universe, and I think, the, I think episode, uh, what is it, eight is going to be really dark, Empire Strikes Back kind of ish, and you're going to see Luke uh, arguing that the Jedi have to cease as an order, and I'm excited about that. See, there you go, next Mike mentioned the resurrection of Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection for all creation. Not quoting you, but that's close. The new heaven is a city, right? Yes. So how will hundreds of billions of people over the last 2,000 years and those before Christ, 144,000, I don't know what that is, including all the animals the trees the bugs and fish and whatever going to fit in the city? I don't know. I think the city, I, frankly, I mean, the city sounds like the whole earth. Um, and and there's, no, there's nothing that says the earth is the same size. I, I don't think overcrowding is going to be an issue. Um, and, and it could just be a beautiful image to talk about heaven and earth being melded together. Because um, it's interesting, when Adam and Eve were created, they, their charge was to take Eden and expand Eden over all the earth. So Eden was a small part of the earth, and they were to expand its borders. And I wonder if the city operates kind of the same way. But great question. I have no idea at all. I think there's one more. On your website, you refer to pre- and post-Christians. Can you please clarify what you mean by this statement? Absolutely. So pre-Christians are um, people who have sort of curiosity, um, people who are, which consider themselves spiritual but not religious, people that... Um, would come to a church community if they were invited by someone they knew and trusted. Um, there's an openness, you know, even though they're not sure what they're open to. Post-Christians are a lot of you guys. You, you, you like Jesus, um, but man, you've been burned by institutions. You've been burned by um, hypocrites. You've been burned by um, the evangelical subculture. And, um, and for some, we, we talked about this in the last podcast, for some, it's uh, zipping away from church and faith and then coming back. For some, it's, nope, I had to leave this and I had to find a new expression. For some, it's leaving the faith altogether. Um, notice we don't say pre- and post-Jesus, we say pre- and post-Christian, uh, and that's what we mean. Um, a lot of post-Christian folks are folks who've had experience with Christianity but not Jesus, And so one of our big deals is, well, when you get to know Jesus, you realize not everything that's done in his name or said in his name is actually of him. And so you can be a huge fan of Jesus and not necessarily be a huge fan of Christianity. So that's the distinction we're trying to make there. Great questions as always. More Star Wars is welcome. Let's go to the book of John, shall we? Let's go to the book of John. If you are new to the Bible, not a fan of the Bible, have questions about the Bible, Or if you're Matt Williams, who is a big fan of John and is always emailing me. He's a professor at Biola. And he's always saying, you know, you could do a series on the book of John. And the book of John, i got to be honest, is my least favorite gospel. I'm just like, Jesus didn't talk weird like that. Jesus talked normally like in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm making fun of Matt right now because he's got this big smile when I say, let's go to John. But I can't help myself today. I tried to resist it. Here's the Book of John. I hope I do it justice. John chapter uh, 20. And if you if that made no sense, I'm sorry. That's more of an inside conversation that Matt and I have been having. Um. So so I've always been curious. So the resurrection happens, and instead of having ham and Easter eggs and family get-togethers, the early the earliest Christian community was a mess. It was a mess on Easter Sunday and and the days following. They had no idea what was happening. So John gives us like different snapshots that are just weird of what's happening in the community during the first sort of Easter Sunday and the days after. And I think it gives us a great deal of hope uh, um, as we try to process what resurrection means for us a couple thousand years later. So the first one, first snapshot comes in uh, John chapter 20, early on the first day of the week. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus, what? loved. Now, we think what's happening is that the ancient Near East, one of the conventions you would use as an author if you were writing about yourself is that you would have some sort of discreet way of referring to you um and uh and for whatever reason John chose the very humble, the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, Moniker. I I think it's Matt will explain it more someday, but I just I love it. So it's Simon Peter and John, the disciple who Jesus loved. Um she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Simon and the other disciple started to the tomb. And then notice this line. Okay, this is so funny. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb what? Now, is that just about the dumbest detail in the history of the world? Right? I mean, that, that's really, really odd. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along, what? Behind him. And went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And then then, this is so great. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. So... You're witnessing literally the most momentous event in human history. And as John or his community is recollecting this event, you know, dozens of years later, hey, 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 make sure you put in there that we were both running and I got to the tomb first. And, and, and we know from other gospel stories, these guys had ranking issues. Right? Can we sit at the left, a hand in your right hand, or, or even later, we don't have time to look at it. but, but, but Jesus says to Peter, "Listen, you're going to die a death that's not all that awesome." And, and Peter says, "Well, what about him, pointing to John?" And Jesus says, "Well, what about him? right? Well, if I want him to stay alive till I return, well that's between him and me." I mean, it's just this, this the weird, competitive vibe. So on the first Easter Sunday, with all of this going on, we have personal issues manifesting themselves beautifully, correct? Right? I mean, it's, it's ha, have you ever been in the midst of something that God was doing that was really powerful and, and you were around somebody who completely missed the point and made it about themselves? Or maybe you were that person, right? There's this sense in which, and I love, one of the reasons I trust this book and I trust these stories is they don't edit this out. This just weird, unless there's some really theologically symbolic reason why it's important for us to know who reached the tomb first three different times. They kept the part in about he and Peter having this weird thing. And I love that. On the first Easter Sunday, there were people who missed the point. There were people who were, who were a bit focused on other things without perhaps getting the big picture, correct? I love that. Second, second story, uh, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now this is interesting because, remember Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant? And there were two angels that were facing inward over this mercy seat. Remember how that looked, anybody? So it's interesting that, that you get the two angels kind of facing in on each other, where, overseeing the place where Jesus had been risen from the dead. I mean, it's kind of that ark sort of covenant mercy seat image. Okay, that was just extra. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Which, and the angels, God bless them, Right? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Well, there's a tomb, and we, last time we saw him, he was dead. Why are you crying? Well, um, it's kind of confusing this morning. We're not quite sure what's happening. Uh, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And, and you could imagine, I mean, you're not thinking to even look for him. Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Come on, Jesus. Now, this, this little detail is amazing. Thinking he was the gardener. Now, you know, there's all sorts of like, this is the first day of the week, and it's a garden tomb, and Jesus is the gardener, and here's Garden of Eden all over again, you know, kind of thing. I, I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Thinking he was the gardener. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, what? Mary?" She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, a Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have yet to ascend to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and sisters and tell them I am ascending to the Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. Now we've talked about on a couple of occasions how women being the first eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus, that's a tough thing. Uh, in the ancient Near East. Men were considered the most trustworthy witnesses. Secondly, what happened on the first Easter? Well, Peter and John didn't stay. They went back. right? We even get images that they go back to Galilee and start fishing again. right? The last you've seen of Jesus is that Jesus, he was dead and beaten and bloody and stabbed and pierced and bruised, mocked. And yet Mary stays. She weeps. She doesn't leave. And as a result, she gets to see something that no one else initially got to see. There was this great quote floating around Twitter. It's like, if you can't trust women preachers, then nobody would have heard about the resurrection of Jesus. It's like, yeah, interesting that they were the first messengers of resurrection to the men. And so on Easter Sunday, you've got some people who are full of despair. And they give up. But then you've got someone like Mary, who sticks around weeping, and because she stays and perseveres, she sees something that no one else gets to see, right? 2,000 years later, Easter Sunday, we've got people who are despairing, people leaving, people sticking around, people weeping, and some of us just gutting it out, and maybe in the midst of the gutting it out, you get to see something no one else gets to see. Third picture Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for what? For what? Nothing up there? Perfect. (laughs) Then I shall tell you. (laughs) Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were were together, With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Um, Oh, whoops, I did skip this part in my notes. Sorry. Nope, go to verse 24. See, Bob, you were right. There was nothing there. All right, now here we go. Now, Thomas, also known as, sure, he was one of the 12. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So Jesus showed up to the rest of the disciples, but Thomas was not there. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord Jesus. But Thomas famously said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. (laughs) Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, you nasty, filthy doubter. Come on. No, he says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, and this is one of the highest confessions of faith in the Gospels, my Lord and my what? My God. Huge. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Right? That's us. But here's what I find interesting. On that Easter Sunday, think about, in that Easter season, this is a week later, think about what you have. It wasn't all jelly beans and joy. It was some people were grieving. Some people had laughed. Some people had missed the point, And some people were doubting that it was true. Right? And what does Jesus do with the doubter? See for yourself. In fact, I'm going I'm to stay here, flip back to the end of Matthew. We find out later that Jesus stays with them for 40 days. And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then he uh, um, ascends into the heavens. But there's this one little detail I just love. Matthew 28, uh, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, remember there used to be 12, Judas, not so much anymore. So there are 11. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And then what's the next line? But some doubted. They've seen him, they've eaten with him, he's taught them for 40 days. And they're still what? Doubting. I mean, I just find that absolutely fascinating. And notice what Jesus says to them. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, you filthy, rotten doubters. No. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You guys, the ones doubting, you go. I mean, isn't that fascinating? One one last story. I find it, and again, there's no profound point here, obviously, um, but I just find it interesting. As they were a community wrestling with what the resurrection meant for their lives, what do you see? You see some are weak, some are strong, some believe, some doubt, some flee, some stay, some weep, right? Some miss the point. Just like us, I mean, I just find so much see we're people um, we're not destination people, we're journey people, no no, 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 that's flipped we're we're not journey people, we're destination people so um, family car rides I've learned that there are two kinds of drivers on family car rides, okay, there are those families that let's say you're going up the coast and you say you know what we're, we're going to stop at anything we want to stop and see we're we're going to we're just going to enjoy the trip we're we're going to ha- take long lunches you know let's say you're trying to drive to San Diego San Diego San Francisco or something and you're just going to enjoy the journey i'm not like that i'm the okay everyone go pee we have extra we have extra cups in the back in case anyone needs to pee on the way up I, I I've got my traffic app. It tells me what time I should be there. I'm going to try to beat that time. Um, you know, we don't stop. We don't enjoy. We're, the, the point of the journey is to get to the destination as quick as possible. Anyone like that besides me? Okay, a few of us, right? We don't, we're not proud of this, but this is kind of the way we work, Um. I find that, that as American Christians, like four of us did Lent, why? Because we're not journey people, we're destination people, right? Easter, Easter's here, we're supposed to be pumped, and then, okay, what's the next thing? All right, 4th of July, right? And, and our stores do this. September comes, right? We have Halloween shopping for two weeks, and then it's Christmas, right? As soon as Christmas is over, it's Valentine's Day. As soon as Valentine's Day is over, it's Easter. As soon as Easter's over, it's 4th of July. As soon as for the, I mean, right? We're just on to the next thing. And I wanted to just stop and say, okay, so great, Easter. But we're still here, and we're still dealing with whatever we're dealing with, and we're still either doubting or not doubting or celebrating or weeping or whatever. I just thought it'd be really interesting to look at these stories and to just go, wow, just like we are, right? Even though they were eyewitnesses to this event, they were still in process. I just find that so Wonderfully liberating. Because I think there's this, this sense of, okay, Easter, 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 yep, done. Now what? No, the now what is, okay, well, now it's working this out. So, one more story. Famously, of course, a guy named Peter says to Jesus, you know, even though everybody else will flee, I will never deny you. And of course, what does Peter do? Three times denies Jesus. And, and it doesn't just deny him, but actually calls down a curse on, on you know, I mean, it's like he wasn't going for just a, a moderate denial. He went all the way. And, and so, of all the disciples, Peter probably was carrying the most shame into resurrection. And, and they have this really interesting thing. Uh, verse 21, chapter 21, English is tough for me today. Chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. So, so the appearances initially were all in Jerusalem. Now they're, now they're back home. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as. Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the other, uh, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Why, why would Simon Peter go fishing? What was he doing before Jesus? So what's he going to do? Okay, yippee, Jesus has risen from the dead. I still don't know what that means, so I'm going to go back and fish. Let's go fishing. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and caught, got in the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. I have no idea why. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Now, now Jesus, okay, th- this is where Jesus is pretty awesome. If you go into Luke 5, we're not going to, but if you're going to Luke 5, the first time Jesus calls Peter to be his disciple, the, this exact same miracle happens. So this is Jesus' way of getting Peter's attention by doing the same thing again. No, they answered, we don't have any fish. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, thank you, said to Peter, notice, it's the disciple that Jesus loved who said to Peter, is this the Lord? Or it is the Lord, excuse me. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped, uh, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning of coals, excuse me, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish you have just caught. And then verse 12 said, come and have breakfast. So literally... Literally, what's the risen Jesus do? He's conquered death, he's saved the universe, he cooks his friends breakfast. But then, when they had finished eating, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And we're not sure what the these are. Maybe the fishing equipment could have been the fishermen, I don't know. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Jesus, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Now, why would Jesus ask three times? That sounded like a lot of mumbling, but I think what I heard (laughs) was because Jesus denied him three times. And now has the opportunity to affirm his love for Jesus three times, correct? Now here's what I just, I find so interesting. On that Easter Sunday and following, you have all these people wondering what the heck is going on. The last time they saw their Savior, he was bloodied and torn up and most certainly dead, But apparently you can fail and really blow it, and Jesus still has a place for you in his movement. Apparently you can miss the point, and Jesus still has a place for you in his movement. Apparently you can be full of doubt, and Jesus has a great commission for you to undertake. Apparently you can go and stay, and stay at the tomb when everyone else has left and see something no one else is going to see. Apparently, apparently, there is room for all kinds of people that first Easter and following. Which means, of course, and obviously, there's room for all of us. And the reason I, I keep, I feel so uh, pressed into making this point is as I get to know you and I get to know your stories, my story too, they're not all shiny, happy, and polished. And there is this thing in sub quarters of Christianity that says you got to be. And we just want to continually war against that. That even the first, I mean, they saw it with their own eyes, but some doubted. No, 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 but someone got to the tomb first. Mary, thinking he was the gardener. Hey, come and have breakfast. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I mean, this was a community of confusion, of restoration, a doubt, of belief, of celebration, of weeping. It's exactly what we want to embody And so why are the sermons depressing? Well, because some people here are depressed. Some people here need to be reminded it's okay the week after Easter to not be all still jacked up. Or to still be jacked up. However, that's going to work for you. And that's my story, right? We're just working it out. So we live in a Good Friday world celebrating Easter Sunday. And one of the earliest things the Christians would do is they would they had this saying, he is risen, and then the, the response would be, he is risen indeed. And they would say this to each other in the midst of just the craziest of circumstances. For centuries, the church was persecuted. People were being fed to animals. People were being right put into slavery and ostracized from their families, and they would just say, he is risen. He is risen indeed, and it would be this declaration That we don't understand how resurrection is going to win here. We know it will. And we know that good wins. But we have to take it as an article of faith. Right now, he is risen indeed. And that somehow changes everything. And one of the reasons why Christians will say he is risen on Easter, he is risen indeed. And the reason I didn't say it on Easter is because for us, Easter is the story that we live in. And so my brothers and sisters, he is risen no matter where you are, if you're doubting, all right, look at me, if you're doubting, he is risen. If you're making it all about you and you've missed the point and you're trying desperately to get a hold of what this thing actually means, he is risen. If you have denied Jesus, run from him, and lived in just outright rebellion against him, and yet you still feel his relentless pursuit of you, he is risen. If you are despairing You're at the tomb weeping. You have no way of working this out. We say to you, he is risen. And so my brothers and sisters, we're going to sing um, a a song that has a line that I just absolutely love. Um, The song's called Majesty. And the line is, his grace has found me just as I am. And I love that. So here you are, for whatever reason you made it today whatever kind of week you've had, but his grace has found you just as you are. So um, we don't do this often, and you'll hate me, but I want you to stand up just for the first one. Just for the first one. You don't have to. You can stretch out. You may sit right down immediately. That's fine. But for us, I like the symbolism of us being found just as we are. Right here we are, just as I am, being found by your grace. And so however, you know, one of our little taglines is safe to belong, well, this is the reason why. Because that first community was safe for all kinds of people, so are we. And so um, I want to pray, we'll sing this together. Lord, we bless you that your movement has room for all sorts of misfits and outcasts and screw-ups all sorts of faith and doubts and questions, all sorts of weird quirks and personalities. God, we are honored to declare that you are risen. And God, we pray that the reality of hope birthed out of the resurrection would become our reality and that we would be a community where people can come as they are and be found by your grace. And know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, how beautiful and good and lovely you are. And so, to that end, God, we offer you now our worship, our voices, our bodies. We pray that you would be pleased to receive this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So, um, one, of the, one of the things that we love about our community is um, how real people are when they share their stories. And so, I want to introduce you to Victoria. Victoria, come on out. Uh, She's going to share a bit about what it looks like to be part of uh, a a community celebrating resurrection, and uh, thank you for having the courage to share uh, your
1: story today. Um, Just to let you guys know, Mike lies. I can see all of you guys, so the whole image of not being able to see out in the crowd is a lie. Well,
0: but see, see those people? I can still see them. Really? Yeah. I can't see individual faces.
1: It might be an age thing. (laughs) So, I'm Victoria, um, and I suffer from depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Um, I've never actually verbalized my story, um, so I hope you guys bear with me. I am a middle school teacher, so speaking is one of my things that I do, but I really hate it.
0: Good. You chose a great profession. I know. Excellent.
1: Exactly. Um, It isn't something I'm proud of and often feel very weak about it. Yeah. I still see a therapist on a weekly basis and take various medications to help me through this time of my life. When I first began therapy, I viewed myself as someone weak and unable to handle my own life. I felt discouraged and disappointed in myself. I refused medication since I believed that it was a sign that something bad was wrong with me and I couldn't fix it. Mm. Luckily, one of my best friends was there to help me along the way. She helped me keep me focused on God and that he has a purpose for this portion of my life. I still don't know exactly what that is yet, but he has a purpose. Um, After months of therapy and what I saw as no change in my emotions and mental state of being, I grew frustrated and angry. I was frustrated and angry that God didn't answer any of my prayers or make things easier for me. Mm -hmm. He has the ultimate control and can change my circumstances, but he chose not to. It was apparent that I needed to go through the entire experience, and he wasn't going to alleviate any of the pain I was feeling. In fact, I felt more heartbroken and at a worse place in my life. Instead of improving, I just felt like I kept sinking down this hole and couldn't get myself out of it. There were moments where I was so angry and discouraged that I contemplated suicide. Suicide seemed much better than living my life the way it is. The rationale was that I would be with God in heaven, and all my pain would be away. My best friend and also my mentor was always there by my side, every step of the way. She always lent a shoulder to cry on and was by my side even through the darkest moments of my life. There were also times that I would turn my back on God. I figured he wasn't going to make it easier for me, and this pain was unbearable. So why should I follow him? I also run away from my friends. Um, I didn't want them to know what was, I was truly feeling inside. I wanted to keep it a secret and keep it to myself. I didn't want anybody around me. God friends family nobody i felt better with the image i portrayed when people didn't know my deepest and darkest secrets Mm -hmm. luckily my friend was there to remind me that god is always by my side through the good and the bad i was skeptical but was eventually able to refocus myself on him there are still various emotions that come up when i spend my time with god however i know that he has a purpose for everything i am currently going through i'd hate to admit it but i don't have it all together I still need therapy and I still take medication. However, I know that with God by my side and a friend, mentor always available, that I can handle what comes at me. It won't always look great, but I'm able to take a step forward in my life and on my way to healing, or so I hope.
0: Oh, come here. Thank you. Run off, yes. Oh, man. I can relate to too much of that. Um, so that's what it looks like to work out resurrection, right? That's what it looks like. We're still, we're hanging on. We're working one step at a time. So, um, and that's why I always say this, but man, my favorite time of the week is this time coming right now that where we assemble around the Lord's Supper together and, um, and we take the bread and the cup as a family together. And I know we don't all know each other, of course, but there's just something about how beautiful it is that the knowledge that some of us are coming from great circumstances and celebration, and some of us are just crawling up there emotionally. And um, so, as always, let me just briefly explain what we'll be doing. Um, Around the room, we have uh, stations um, uh, for the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, some call it. There's a gluten-free station back there uh, there'll be people up here who will say to you, this is the body given for you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and you take some of that bread, you dip it into the cup, um, and then you can either take and eat right there, or go back to your seat or whatever, we do this not only because Jesus commanded it, but it's, it's our way of reminding ourselves of who we are, who he is, and what our role in the world is. He is savior and rescuer. He is good. We are people who all have unclean slates. We are people who all have unclean lips. We're all people coming through no merit of our own. It is grace that we receive this, and we were reminded about what our role is in the world. This is our job description, to be broken and poured out for the sake of others. Also, next to those stations are prayer stations where you can take a piece of paper, write down something we can be praying for, uh, or something that you've seen victory in, and we want to celebrate with you. And you take a bit of paper, you wrap it up, you stick it in one of those uh, wood holes, and uh, and our prayer team will be praying for that. Um, and That uh, prayer shawl there is a reminder, of course, of the woman that Uh, touch the hem of Jesus' robe, believing there was healing there at the very fringes. And so we, as an act of faith, um, take that bit of uh, robe and ask for our healing too. And then lastly, if if there's anyone here who would love to be prayed for by people with voices and not just knowing it's happening during the week, we'll have a couple of people over there who would love to be praying for you. Um, participation boxes around the room for those of us who practice generosity and worship through giving. Other than that, this is our time to respond. And so we, we take our time. You are free to do whatever you'd like to respond or not, to uh, sit, stand, kneel, sleep, whatever, um, we leave this up to you. But I want to pray, and then Izzy will take it from here. So Lord Jesus, thank you. I thank you for Victoria. I thank you for her story I hate it. <laughs> I hate, God, that um, you don't always answer our cries for relief. I really wish there was a way we could get you to do that. I, I, and, 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 Lord, I know, just because I see the prayer requests that come in, how many of us are just in turmoil. Um, God, I, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would attend to us now and would bring healing and deliverance and rescue and breathe hope over our community. Lord, that the community of the resurrection would be a community that grieves, but not as those who have no hope. And so we ask you that hope would become a deeply, deeply significant reality for us. Meet with us now, Lord Jesus. We pray, amen and amen. Tables open. You did it. You made it. Congratulations. It's warm in here. It's warm. Brothers and sisters, stand with me if you would. No giggling. This is church. It's Very solemn. All right, my brothers and sisters, bless you. If you are here for the first time, welcome. Say hello to somebody on your way out. You go to voxoc.com, find out uh, or sign up for anything. Uh, that's all we got. Alright, so let's do a little blessing and then we are out to lunch. How many are going straight to lunch right now? I need to just know. Anybody? Nice. couple? Okay. Anyone napping right immediately after this besides me? Okay, a few of us. Alright, awesome. Good. Again, I don't know why. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.